Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you were blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Good morning, church, and hello to those online. Hello to you, and welcome to our service here today on this Memorial Day weekend. As we continue to worship together, I do just want to mention, uh, say a special just uh, word to those joining online that may be watching this sermon later, just kind of unique by itself without the rest of the service. Uh, We do just want to mention that, uh, of course, as we know, this week was a very tragic week for our nation, and so we spent some time already praying for those that were affected by the tragedy that happened at Rob School all day so we do want to mention that and of course as we are here today it's hard to bring off the mind that tragedy that happened those people who mourn here today those families that have been torn apart and destroyed and those children that lost their lives and so uh, we do mention we want to take that here today of course as a Christian one of the things we always wonder in times like this is the tide of darkness seems to be crying up And being that huge wave of a tsunami coming towards the world, towards us, our loved ones, and our nation. The question is always, what do Christians do? As I look at scripture, what Jesus tells us to do, what good Christians do, is they put their hand to the plow and they get busy doing good work. I want to mention to those here in the service, those also online, uh, you'll have an opportunity uh, to be participating, but today, in today's service, it's not just going to be a sermon, there's actually going to be a call to action, and in that call to action, you'll have a chance to respond. 
a chance to plow in God's kingdom in a unique way. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I hope it's still okay to have some levity even in the midst of all these times. I planned this sermon, of course, well before the events that happened this week. And so I wanted to continue with it. And I do want to just mention here today that it's still okay to laugh. And in fact, sometimes the laughter of the Lord is exactly what brings that darkness away. And so in these words that I'm about to share and the sermon that we're about to have here today, it's okay. You can still laugh. You can still find joy in this world, even in the midst of tragedy. Well, one of my favorite words in the English language is the word onomatopoeia, right? Because, I mean, just saying it makes you feel giddy, right? I mean, you can't even say it right, and every time I say it, I just want to spell it wrong, because you can't spell it the way it sounds, you know? It's one of those words that you say, and you wonder about it. And, in fact, onomatopoeia is one of my favorite words, and not only because the way it sounds, but what it represents. Of course, the dictionary definition of that word is this. It is the formation of a word from a sound that is associated with it, of which it is named. And so, of course, anybody who's ever song, sung the song, Old MacDonald Had a Farm, you've sang many onomatopoeias. Now, some of them are okay, like sizzle, eh, you know, it's okay. But when you get into the animal ones, that's when you truly get into what, you know, is the great about this word, right? Such as quack. You can't say quack without feeling a little happy on the inside. And you can't say cuckoo without saying it in that, name, in that voice, right? And of course, our sermon here today is entitled Ma and Ma, which I always find funny because when you try to spell it, everybody likes to spell these words differently in other cultures and the different sounds that are made is also a wonderful thing. And I love that the fact that in the English language, we could never figure out a better way to make an animal noise or to, to, to share what an animal noise was when you read it than just B-A-A. A, right? Or depending on how, there's different, you know, ways that we spell it, but I've always enjoyed that and the world of difference. But of course, as we look at this sermon here today, there are sheep, there are goats. In my growing up, of course, my teachers taught me and my mom taught me that sheep make the ba sound and the goats make that meh sound. Maybe you do something slightly different, but that's what I'm going with here today. It's what I know and what we're doing. But as we come here today, they may sound similar. Matter of fact, sometimes I use one and alternate for the other by accident all the time when I'm doing the little song for my kids. You know, sometimes when you're half paying attention because you sing the song, I don't know, earthly thousands of times at this point to your kids, the horse starts saying, ma, and so does the cow. You know, sometimes it just, any animal noise works in the general time when you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, my brain hurts from singing this so much. But nonetheless, there is a world of difference, as we saw in our scripture here today, between the word ba and ma. Jesus is telling parables at this part of Scripture in Matthew 25, where we find this. It's a great point of Scripture because just back in Matthew 24, Jesus has stopped. He's, he's been teaching in the temple. He's been doing his things. And he finally says, all right, we're going to stop that. We're going to go up to the Mount of Olives. Me and my disciples are going to withdraw from the crowd. We're going to go on our own. And so they go up to the Mount of Olives, and they're sitting there and presumably you know, doing things like praying, hanging out, eating. And the disciples come to him, and they start asking him, Lord, when is the time going to be for your kingdom to come? And they start kind of prodding Jesus with these questions. And so Jesus, it tells us very specifically that it was a private conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. 
And this private conversation, if you go on, it's really almost like a monologue that goes on from basically the beginning of chapter 24 all the way through chapter 25. And the theme about it is exactly what the disciples wanted to know. is about, Lord, your coming kingdom. When is it coming? We want to know when is it coming. And Jesus tells him flat out, and basically the whole of 24, you won't know. Matter of fact, the big theme of that is the day and the hour is unknown. And he says, I don't even know when it's going to happen right now. You know, don't worry about the day and hour and trying to figure it out and trying to get that schedule down. Don't worry about that. But he goes on to share some parables. And these parables have kind of a unique thing. There's a theme to these, basically three big ones that he shares at this time. And the unique theme is this. You may not know, but be ready. Be ready. And be ready at all times. At all times, think that the Lord may be coming. Of course, he does this in three different parables. The parable of basically the bridegroom that's coming home to a wedding party and the ten virgins that are supposed to be waiting there with their lamps ready to go and wait for the celebration to begin and the marriage to officially start. For the parable of the talents, which we've looked at before, where there were two good people that invested them and kept going while their master was out of town. The other one didn't want to be known for his master's business, so he stuck it in the sand and hit it over in the dirt and eventually came back and the master was praised the two and got mad at the one. And then Jesus tells this story to round out his teaching with his disciples. The story is what we commonly know, the parable of the sheep and the goats, or as we're going to call it today, the parable of the ba and the ma, or man, whichever one you want to say. And the theme of all these is different, just slightly different, as he's teaching about the kingdom of God. Whereas before, some of the, the parables we've been looking at is when Jesus first started to teach, he's trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And he likens it so many times to like agriculture and things growing and expanding and doing different things. And the theme of this is that there is a point coming where you want to be ready. You want to be ready when that moment comes. And so live accordingly. What is your, uh, be ready? But this specific one, this specific parable that is, tells us how we're ready, right? So the other ones kind of really emphasize like, hey, be ready, be ready, be ready. And this one says not only be ready, but here's how you be ready. And the things that Jesus leaves with them in Matthew 25, before, of course, the rest of Matthew plays out where Jesus is not only betrayed, but crucified and rises again. Now, it's very important that when you think about this here today is uh, one of the things I always like to share when you share these stories about Jesus and the coming kingdom and talk about this is I had a friend when I was growing up and when I first became a Christian I would say you know even though I went to church and all that there was a moment where I decided no I'm going to follow Jesus Christ he's going to be my Lord and Savior I'm going to give my life to him and I'm going to trust in his goodness and uh, some of my friends I grew up with uh, were around and I remember one of them being being like hey his name was I'll just give you a real name his name was Chad and so Chad lived down the street from me and Chad and I are on the bus one day hanging out and he says you know you're doing this whole Christian thing aren't you I was like yep yeah I am and he goes, you know, I'm going to do that one day, but I want to have my fun first. So my plan is I'm going to go out, live large, and then one day I'll give my life to Christ, do that whole thing, right? And, of course, I didn't know my wisdom back then. I was like, well, actually, that sounds kind of nice. I don't know. Maybe I but, you know, I was in high school at the time, but, uh, you know, I didn't live that way, of course. But as I've grown up and grown wiser, I've understood the folly in that. Because here's the trick, is when you hear these stories, Every single time you deny the Lord a space in your life and you say, Lord, I'm going to continue to live on my own and not live the way that God wants me to, 
it actually gets a little harder for your heart to choose good next time. It becomes hardened over time. It's where it becomes harder to respond to the Lord. Even though you always are available, God's always given it to you, and it's right there. But the more you decline it, the harder it is to accept it. And so just think here today, whoever's hearing this, if you have been searching for the Lord and you say, hey, I'm going to do that one day, but not now, today's the day. Because your heart will never be as ready and prepared to receive the Lord as it is in hearing right here and right now. And so if you want to know more about that, you can reach out to us at the church. We'll be sure to have those conversations of what it means to give your life to the Lord, to be ready for the coming day when his coming happens, his kingdom is ushered in, and how we are ready. Now, before we jump into the scripture itself, there's one last thing we got to talk about, and that is this. It's really important to get the proper Greek names of goats and sheep down, right, because it it's really important, okay, got it, all right, so here's the deal, in Greek, the goat name is Eriphon, so everybody say Eriphon, all right, now that one, it's, it's, I, I kind of lied to you a little bit, it's not that important, but here's the really important one, it's sheep, and it's spelled P-R-O-B-A-T, and here's how you pronounce it, probata, The older I get, the better dad jokes get. And that's not only a dad joke, it's a seminary joke. So there you go, feel folks. There it is right there. I'm here all week, so thank you very much. But anyways, but the sheep and the goats is what this story is about. And of course, the separation that happens. And Jesus, you know, his followers, of course, had seen sheep and goats. You know, they oftentimes, even today over in the Middle East, they'll often graze and uh, have sheep and goats together in their flock as they go about eating. But there will be times where they separate them. Now, I tried to look up if this happens regularly, like every night, if they bring the sheep in and separate them or things like that. I could never find that answer. But there are times for sure when back in the day, if you had sheep and goats and you were grazing around as a shepherd, that you would want them to separate them for certain points. For instance, when shearing would take place, you don't want to get all the different furs mixed up. So, of course, you would shear them over here and over here would be something totally different, right? So you'd want the sheep and goats separated, make sure you had good quality wool when you did that. Of course, both animals were also known for milk. And so you were milking. You don't necessarily want your sheep milk and your goat's milk. You know what I'm saying? I often wondered, you know, could we make a business out of sheep goat milk? I don't know if it's possible, but maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's an idea out there for you online. I know there's somebody out there that's like, hmm, I think I could make that happen. So let me know when you do. I want to try it. I want to know what it's like. Or, of course, what I'll call the day of reckoning when sheep or goats are being sold or maybe a party is happening and food is being prepared. It's time to separate because, of course, they're going to be prepared differently. And if it is that last understanding what the people thought of, then even this idea of it's the day of reckoning is coming. And people would understand that, hey, when the sheep, when the sheep and the goats are separated, this is big time, big stuff, which, of course, goes with this whole theme we've been talking about to this point. Now, of course, in this parable, Jesus talks about how the sheep are on one side, the goats are on the other, and there's a difference between them, and the difference is how they live their life. And unbeknownst to them, that every single time when they encountered somebody in need and they helped that need, they were actually doing it for Jesus. And just like the likewise, when those that came across those in need and didn't help, they were denying serving the Lord himself. Of course, remember what happens. The parable is they separate the goats on the left side, the sheep get on the right side, and when Jesus talks about it, he says, you know what? You who did good work, come into the kingdom, for I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you 
you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, or in the Greek kind of foreigner, the idea of being someone who doesn't have family or some you know, support system around them, and you welcome them. Those that are, the actual word is sometimes different translations do different, but naked, and naked meaning like not full naked, but you have just your underwear on kind of thing, and you need clothing. You were naked, and you clothed me. Or you were sick, and also the word sick really in Greek also means weak. So you can kind of say both ways. Not only just sick, as we often translate it, but just weak, powerless, in need of help. And the word says, and oftentimes it says, and you looked after me. The, the actual Greek says, you looked, you gazed upon me. In other words, you saw someone who was weak, who was sick, and you took time to stop, to gaze upon them and meet their need. And of course, the last thing, that I was in prison and you visited me. And again, prison in the old days is much different than today. You never stayed in prison. You were in prison until you had, you went before the ruler and had your judgment given. And your judgment was, you know, either go to a death sentence, you get free, or something that's basically a death sentence, like you go work on a galley or you go work in the mines. Those are pretty much three options. And sometimes in the rare case, you got, uh, you know, expelled and basically sent off on your lonesome into an island where no one could come and visit you. And those are basically your four options, right? And so in prison was not a time where they fed you. It was not a time where they clothed you. And so oftentimes these rulings could take months or they could be having to travel different places. And so if your family or your friends didn't come and give you food, didn't give you water, didn't give you anything, you didn't have anything. So it's a little different than today, but nonetheless, you can get the idea of those that were in desperate need were visited and cared for. Now, as you look at these, it's funny because sheep don't do any of those things, right? And in the parables, there's often metaphors. This isn't as we understand it, and the Christians have understood it for centuries, is this isn't a metaphor. Like, these are actual actions that anyone can view and that actually explain what is the kingdom of God? How do we live it here on earth? What is the expectation of being ready? And the expectation of being ready is being extravagant in love. Now, there's one thing as Americans that we put in here that's not here. And I never realized this until I was reading, a, you know, one of the concordance books and all that I was looking up, and they pointed this out, and I said, oh my gosh, I've never even thought of that. Nowhere in this list does it mention that people had to be poor. Now, of course, Jesus' ministry is all around the poor all the time, and of course, that's what he's calling us to do. Anybody who's poor oftentimes has these things, but he doesn't necessarily specifically say they have to be poor in order for them to fit these bills. In fact, in their days, just simply welcoming your family, providing food for them on a long journey, welcoming someone who's esteemed and caring for them, or seeing someone in need who maybe has much but is lonesome and being there for them is exactly also in line with this parable. And so as you're here today and you hear those things, you think about, am I in my life putting this into action? You can't only think about just only, you know, people who are poor or disenfranchised and all those things, you also have to think about how do you treat really almost everybody in your life? And you at, even at a party and you see someone who feels lonesome, the wallflower, if you will, sometimes they want to be left alone, but sometimes they just don't know how to engage. And going up to them, just being a friend to them, bringing cookies to your neighbors that just moved in and welcoming them to a new neighborhood. All those things also are here in this scripture. 
Now, of course, there's a surprise, and the surprise is, is that the people had no clue that they were doing it for Jesus. And, of course, when you're about building the kingdom and loving extravagantly, there are times where you are blown away by what happens. In fact, I had something happen this week about this. I, uh, as I told you before, uh, I am O positive in my blood type. And I am not scared of, like, needles and things per se, and I've gotten pricked all my life with different things and all sorts of stuff. And so giving blood's kind of like, okay, yeah, no big deal. So I've been on the blood donor list for a while, and they called me up the other day, and they said, hey, Mr. Man. I thought, it's always funny, but yeah, okay. Mr. Man, <clears throat> would you please come to the next blood drive? We saw uh, you had to miss last time. I was like, yeah, I was out of town. I couldn't make it, all that stuff. And they go, okay, well, if you could please come um, and if you would consider, instead of doing the normal blood, okay, normal blood, okay, normal blood, could you give the power red donation? And I go, what's that, right? <laughs> I'm like, they try to explain it to me. I'm like, I don't know, I quite understand it. Just sign me up, it's fine. So uh, my birthday was last week. So on my birthday was the Sunday. Monday was my blood donor day, where I went over to Crooked Alley Space, you know, the blood, blood drive, all that stuff. And I walked in for my power red appointment, not knowing anything that was going to happen. And... Uh, uh, I didn't even really know what was so important about the Power Red donation. And so I went in and, you know, did the whole rigmarole, do all the questions and ask you all these really, really weird questions, which as a pastor, I'm like, if I answer yes to any of these, I need to go quit my job. Or I need to pause here. I got to go quit my job then come back and get blood because, like, I just I can't do it. But anyways, there's a whole bunch of questions they ask you. And when you get in there uh, and they go, well, you're our Power Red person today. This is great. And I look at them and I'm like, this person's way, way too excited about the Power Red donation. And I'm like, so I kind of... I, your pastor played dumb a little bit. I go, I think so. And they go, well, you want to give, well, which one do you want to do? Are you here to give blood or the power? Red? And I go, which is which? <laughs> and they try to explain it to me. Basically, here's the explanation. Hey, uh, when you give uh, power red, you give more, twice as many blood, red blood cells as you do normally. And so you actually take kind of like two units of blood, if you will, but they put all, they, they separate the red blood cells from the plasma in your blood and they give that plasma back to you, which is like, why do I? Are you giving it back to me? Why don't they want that? But anyways, so they do that, and it goes to specific things and does specific things. I go, okay. And I just flat out, like, she's trying to explain it to me. I'm not getting it. And I finally go, okay, which one do you need more? <laughs> right? Like, just, just break it down for me. Like, which one do you need more? She goes, with your blood type, absolutely this one. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I do the power red, and they hook you up to, like, this machine. And uh, when they hook you up, uh, they, you know, it basically looks like one of those old recording cassette things. It's like got the spinning thing and all the tubes are coming in, almost like the old tape recorders and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it, it was kind of like I wanted to put on like 80s music because it like, you know, that's what it felt like to me. Anyway, so I'm hooked up, doing the thing, and, uh, and so I'm sitting there, I still don't quite understand what I'm doing other than giving blood. And I'm not really understanding still why one blood versus other blood and why it's the difference. And so I'm asking, you know, the nurse, the, the different nurse was helping me, and so I'm like, all right, maybe she can help me. So I'm asking her, and she goes, okay, well, Here's basically the difference. She explains the same thing again about, you know, you two units of blood, blah, blah, blah. You have to wait longer to get blood, all these different things. And then she says, uh, and I'm like, so what do you do differently with the blood? And they go, oh, okay, well, yeah, here's what happens. As they say, oh, you know, it goes to uh, a lot of different people, but basically people who really need it. And people like cancer people, patients, um, trauma, and also uh, specifically also uh, children especially in, like, leukemia situations and things like that. And I go, huh. She's like, you know, pretty much it's going to be one of those. And I go, okay. Time goes on. She goes back, comes back a little bit. And I go, so, you know, I've been thinking, right? I mean, I, what are you going to do besides sit there and think while you wait 30 minutes while your blood's drained on? And so I'm sitting there waiting. And I go, all right, so if you're taking two units of blood, 
did the two units go to the same person or they get separated? And she's like, well, sometimes they separate it, but truly, you can expect that it's given to one person. And I go, oh, really? She's like, I'm like, so is it like mostly trauma then? She goes, well, it can, but almost all of them, you'd be surprised, are given to leukemia children. Because you're O positive and the blood blood cells themselves are much likely to cause interactions. And so she's like, I can't guarantee you, but I'm willing to bet, you know, you can pretty much just expect the blood's being drawn is going to go to a kid with leukemia who needs it desperately. And I just kind of, you know, when you hear that, you just kind of pause and you think about a person getting that in that situation. And then she kind of kept going. She said, just so you know, we hear stories all the time in this field of why we do this. They remind us, you know, these conventions and things. She said, she said, the donation you're giving today, what's different about it, not only when that, it's going to probably go to a kid with leukemia, but when it goes, the parents, the, the stories the parents tell about their kid who's just sickly, and they get this donation, and their color's back. And their child is back for that time until they need another transfusion. And she said, you know, what you're doing here today, why it's different, is because of that. So I sat there, of course, and it struck me. When you hear you know, those commercials about, you know, hey, St. Jude and all these different things of doing all these wonderful work for kids. It couldn't get done without that blood donation. And just like the story where all of a sudden you're confronted with what impact you were really having in that moment and had no clue. You know, most of the time you go get blood, you know it's going to save lives, yada, 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 you know that, but, you know, is it going to, like, you know, someone just having a normal procedure, you know, something like that. But literally... She basically told me that day, no, what you're doing is not only extending the time, but making quality time for children that otherwise wouldn't have it. It's amazing the kingdom of God when we're up to what the good things that happen from that, the amazing things that come from that. And of course, as we share this today, the simple lesson here is you either do it or you don't. Right? I mean, you're either going to love other people and do these acts of kindness or you're not. I have to be honest with you, there's been something nagging my heart for a while, and that is that I've been aware of the next few months of a group of people that we have connection with that are hungry. In this country, it would be common for bags of rice for a family to have a day, and by the grace of those around them, Instead of having nothing, they're getting cups of rice. I can't speak to whether they're thirsty because of where they're at and all those things, but I can tell you they may not be a stranger to those around them, but they're homeless. They may not be totally naked, but I can tell you I've seen videos of a very small amount of clothing going to a whole family saying, here, take this. And while not all of them are sick or weak, With the amount of food they're being given, the amount of exposure they're having to the elements, they will be. And while they're not prisoners per se, the country they live in has no economic means for them to pull out of it. And inflation, as bad as it is here, it affects this place way beyond what we have. 
I'm talking about, as you probably may have guessed, the village called Tayama in Sierra Leone. We have connection with them before when we sent, sent shoes over. Remember how we did that shoe drive and it was sent over and it was given out? This is one of the places that got that. And, and you might remember, you know, it was basically right around the corner of the, where this was. And the pastor didn't even have a shirt on that day. <laughs> you might remember that video. And, the sh- and as he panned out, no one had shoes. And the shoes were just piled up. And there were all these children just waiting around, just hoping, right, that they'd get some of these shoes as, we unba- as they unbagged them and things like that. A couple months ago, they had a fire. And almost the whole village burned down. Of course, there are no fire departments. There's no fire hydrants, none of that. So the material that it's made of and the close proximity of the houses, they lost everything. They returned from a meeting just to see huge flames and everything gone as they came back to their houses. And the Methodist Church down there has been doing what they can. As I mentioned, they've been giving out rice, but instead of cups, they're not able to do bags of rice per family. They're only giving cups a day for the families to live on. They've been given as many clothes as they have, but, I mean, I'm talking just a small set of clothes for people that need it. And they need more. I've been wrestling with it for so long because, of course, whenever we want to help somebody, we want to make sure we help them. And so to figure out the proper process and what we can do to help them in this time, it's also the season of uh, rain in Sierra Leone, which basically means the crops aren't growing, which means food prices are up and it's harder to get food. And so these people that are in need are even in more need as time goes on during this season. As you know, we have our custodian, is Magnus Jusu. He's also a pastor over in Sierra Leone in the Methodist Church. His brother is also a United Methodist pastor. He happens to work as the assistant to the district superintendent. That's Tayama Ezin. It's one of his local areas. We can get it to Paul, his brother. Any money that's collected here today. And Paul, today, we can wire it to him, so there'll be a little fee for that. There'll be a little transportation, because he's actually going to get down to Freetown to get the wire and the money, but to go up, to go back to this village, to provide what they need most, which right now it sounds like food. They're just moments whether you're in or out. My challenge here today is church, which one do you want to be? My wife and I talked last night, and so we're going to give our first hundred dollars here today for Tayama to go and buy food and to clothe those who need it. If you're here today, either during the last song or after the service, whatever you're more comfortable with, or if you want to give online, just mark it Sierra Leone, we're going to take an offering. God, as we're here today, you've called us to action once again. Lord, in these teaching with your disciples, you taught them what it meant to love extravagantly. And so, God, we're going to do our best here today to provide for our brothers and sisters across the world who still have very little. The church is still trying to figure out how they can provide. And so, God, as we come here today, we hear your calling. We see you in those people. Our brothers and sisters, we want to help them. Bless every gift that's given that it could provide life and nourishment and care for those who need it. And may, Lord, as the church is going to be the one that it goes through and the church in Sierra Leone provides this, may you get all the glory where people can feel the love of strangers across the planet that wanted to make sure they were fed and clothed and loved and that they'd hear the gospel of Jesus Christ.
proclaim not only with words but with action. God, we pray all this.